What's up, fam? Hey guys, we got the whole family with us. We got all of our house churches here locally as well as globally. We got our online campus family as well as all of our family at North Cobb, at Hamilton Mill, at Midtown, and here in Norcross in the greater Atlanta area. What is up, guys? Well, you're here on a good day because today we're talking about sex. And here's the deal. We're talking about sex in church because we live in a world that pretty much talks about sex nonstop. And I don't know if you noticed yet, but it's getting a little cray-cray out there. It's getting a little cray-cray. So let me just cut to the chase. Let me just say what needs to be said. Sex is a good thing. Come on, married people. <laughs> I, listen, I don't know what you thought you'd hear in church today. Uh, but sex is a good thing. Sex was not invented in a dark alley behind a porn shop. God made sex. And then, if you know Genesis, he said, it is good. <laughs> but, like pretty much everything else that God made good, we found a way to mess it up. That's just kind of one of the things that we do best, is mess things up. And the truth is that today, we're living in a confused and confusing world when it comes to sex and sexuality, right? There, there is something seismic that's shifting in sexuality. There's something incredibly shaking and, and changing that's happening in the world around us. And in fact, just, just as a snapshot of that, I wanna show you guys a statistic. So no matter how you feel about this information, you can't say that there's not something happening in our midst. And so if you can't read it all, this is essentially the percentage of US adults that identify across the spectrum of LGBTQ+, right? And it used to be that the sum total of society was somewhere around that like three-ish percent. Now it's moved to 7%, but because that's because new generations are coming. And so if you look at, even just come over here to 2022, the, the, my parents' generation, the traditionalist is what it's called, is somewhere around 1.7% of that uh, generation identifies as LGBTQ. Um, the, the baby boomers is 2.7. My generation, I'm on the tail end of Generation X, is 3.3%. But then something happens between my generation and the millennials. It jumps to 11.2%. And now that all of Gen Z is now adults, it's at 20%. That's not even counting because we can't count the ones like my kids, the ones who were born 2005 and after. We don't have those numbers yet because we only have adult numbers. And so again, regardless of even how you feel about these numbers, you can see the curve. You can see something is happening in the world around us, right? Like the numbers don't lie. Over half of women and over a, over a third of men will be sexually abused or sexually assaulted at some point in their life. Um, the average age of first viewing of pornography is now between 11 and 12. Uh, for many, it's much, much, much younger, uh, but majority don't go looking for it. They stumble across it and get this. Most of them do so in the school hours because the schools give them devices. Something's happening. Something's going on. So let me just say this from the jump. I'm not a politician. I'm not here to make balanced statements. I'm not here to get your votes. I'm not here to get claps and likes. I'm not here to get follows. 
All right? I'm not here to, to push a legislative agenda. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. And so today, my prayer is you would know this one thing, that I love you. And everything I'm saying, I want to be full of grace and truth. Because God's unchanging word is grace and truth, and it's good for us. And here, let me just say this. Here, let me put another asterisk, okay? I know a lot of us have some pretty passionate viewpoints about sex and sexuality, about the things that we're gonna talk about today. And I just wanna go ahead and say it. I guarantee you that some of you will be offended today. Okay, but here's what I say. Come back next week and we'll offend somebody different. <laughs> all right, come back in a month. We'll give it to somebody else, all right? Because God's word does that. Because we all have different things. We all have different areas that we struggle with and different areas that we have a hard time really hearing God on. But it's my affirmation to you today is that God's word is different, but it's also better than everything that's happening in our culture, okay? Everything that's happening in our culture. So here's my ask. Here's my ask of every single one of us. Hear me out. Hear me out. Don't, don't, you know, in five minutes, I'm just gonna stomp out of the room. Don't, don't angrily click close online. Um, because you don't know what I'm gonna say next. And, he, and the reality is this, guys. We live in a soundbite culture, and one of the best skill sets to have in a soundbite culture is the ability to move past a 10-second soundbite and actually participate in the entire conversation. So I'm gonna ask you to participate in the entire conversation, all right? And if you wanna talk to somebody afterwards and, and debate with them, let's do it. Let's do it, okay? So put on your seatbelt because we're going in. We go in it. All right, so let, let's do this real quick because we just showed some statistics. There's a thousand other statistics out there, right, of things that are happening, you know, seismically in society right now. And so the question is, how do we get there? How do, how do we get to these statistics? What has changed as the years have gone by? And so what I wanna do real quick, just kind of as, as we get going, I wanna run through, literally, I wanna run through 10 things that have changed just over the last handful of years. Here's the first thing. Social media. <laughs> All right, so Facebook came along in 2005, Instagram in 2010, TikTok in 2016, right? You know, and, and a lot of those trends kind of trend with the introduction of social media because, right or wrong, right, we have never been presented with the totality of belief in the world before. And kind of alongside that, one of the issues is all belief is presented as equally valid because everybody has a platform. And here's the reality, guys. Um, parents, I, I, listen, I'm gonna get on you parents, okay? I'm a parent too, okay? So I'm getting on myself as well. No parent in their right mind would allow a never-ending line of strangers to form outside their house and come inside their house and talk to their kids about whatever they want to. Yet that's what social media is. Every swipe is worldview. Every swipe is this is good, this is bad, do this to get affirmed, don't do that, do more of this, do, do less of that. And now what we have is we have eight-year-olds saying, I'm gender non-binary. Again, so just regardless of how you feel about it, no eight-year-old in the history of the world has woken up and said, you know what? I'm gender non-binary. They were given that language. They were introduced to it through this thing called social media. 
Okay, so what's changed? Social media. Two, politics. Politics. We preach sermon on every single one of these, but politics has shifted. We live in the same world, right? So, so again, regardless of how you feel about it, so in 2015, right, um, a so-called uh, gay marriage or same-sex marriage uh, was passed. Fast forward to three, a few years. Now we're having conversations about what bathrooms people can use. Go to the, like this last week and listen, listen, you can, you know, just don't stick your head in the, uh, in, in the sand on this one. Is Washington State is literally right now in the process of passing. Like take one more step from this and they're, they're setting up the groundwork for the government to take your children if you don't affirm their preferred gender. Just go look at it, it's there, it's there. And this is happening all across the country. And studies show, listen, studies show, we're talking about how do we, how do, how, what's the trend? How did we get here? Listen, studies show that what the government endorses will swing the belief of the nation, right? This is why God holds the, the kings and the government so accountable in the Old Testament because God, people don't listen to God, they listen to government. And government forms our thinking. So, so what's changed? You know, the uh, uh, social media, politics, porn culture. Number three, right? Pornography has never been so accessible and so extreme. And so now we have kids growing up who haven't been taught about sex from their parents, who are learning about sex and thinking that what they see in pornography is real and good and true and moral and normal and what a relationship is actually supposed to look like. Number four, sexual abuse. We just talked about it a second ago. But molestation and abuse are rampant. Why? A lot of the reason is because of porn culture. Because people are being fed all of this and they have this appetite. So what, how can I express it? I will take it out on, on people who are vulnerable. Right? And here, here's the deal, guys. I know of um, women who, who are lesbians today because they were sexually abused by a man when they were young, and now their whole life has been like, I never wanna experience that again. So I, instead of having intimacy with a man, now I'm gonna go to intimacy with a woman. I know, of, I know of women who at a young age entered into a transgender lifestyle, why? Because they said, if I'm a boy, no man will ever touch me like that. And so their whole life is an avoidance of ever being abused again, because abuse will do things on the inside of you. Number five, what's happening in our society? What's changed? The sexualization of children. I know you're like, dear God, this is heavy. Yes. How did we get here? What's going on in the world around us? We have to talk about it, right? That our, that our, 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 our children are blatantly being sexualized. All right, why, or else, why are there drag queen shows at libraries? Why does Build-A-Bear have a drag queen bear? Why does Sesame Street have a transgender host? I just, saw, I just watched it yesterday and then Elmo comes out all dressed up. Oh, you didn't know because you're in the other room and they're watching it over there. Public schools want to teach kindergartners about sexual identity. And I think, and again, we can't even go into this, but a really good question is this. Why is Western society so obsessed with teaching five-year-olds about sex? There's not many answers. Number six, what has changed? Access, all right? Well-meaning but naive parents have stuck a phone into their kids' hands because everybody else has one and I don't. And you're like, well, little Billy, I love you so much. Here's, here's a porn addiction. <laughs> and we give them devices. I see five-year-olds with iPads, like with no guards, with no filters, with no restrictions, right? Right? 
And here's what we don't understand as parents. Listen, it depends on your age. Like, listen, kids and youth, like on TikTok and Snapchat and these places, right? They're literally one click away from pornographic material. They're literally one click away from instructions on how to commit suicide. They're one recommended video away from eating disorders. And you lovingly gave it to them. What's changed? Number seven, all truth is relative. Right, we no longer have a modern society. We have what's called a postmodern society, which means my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And the only truth that's untrue is when you tell somebody that their truth is untrue. <laughs> and it's intentionally confusing, right? Like we said forever, like one plus one equals two. I don't know if you saw this recently. Uh, there's actually a push right now that two plus two equals four is racist. So there you go. <laughs> that's a thing. Again, listen, I'm not making stuff up. Just go Google. Google's your friend with some of this stuff, right? What's changed? Number eight, we've untethered from God's ways. So when you have all this in, in, the, in the pot, and then you simultaneously remove prayer from schools, you remove the name of Jesus from culture, um, you, you go to church 1.5 times a month, you don't take your kid to youth, you don't pray with them at home, you don't give them a biblical worldview. In our sixth grade ministry just a few weeks ago, um, we, we sent out to the, to the parents, hey, this, this weekend, we're gonna, we're gonna teach your kids how God views things like sexual identity and pornography. And in an unprecedented level, we had parents saying, I'm, my kid's not gonna come this week because they don't struggle with that. They don't have issues with that. Listen, parents, your kids could teach you everything you ever need to know about online life. They're already doing it. They're already exposed to it on the school bus, at school, their friends, whatever it is, right? That is the world that we live in. And if you don't give them a biblical worldview, they'll find something else to build on, right? Number nine, what's changed? We've deconstructed the family. Everything God does is built on the family, right? The family is the place of security. The family is the place of identity. The family is the place where kids can see what's right and wrong through their parents, right? But when you, take God, uh, when you take dad out of the house, when mom's busy working or they got their own mess, come on, mom, listen, when mom and dad can't get through their own sexual dysfunction, how are they supposed to help their kids? When dad's addicted to porn, how's he supposed to help his son? And when we don't have a family that imparts identity, kids will go looking for identity in other places, right? And the last thing, number 10, what's changed? Celebration. So what society celebrates has changed. And here's the, here's the truth about every single one of us. We want to be celebrated. So listen, if we live in a society that celebrates girls taking about all their clothes off and shaking it for likes, I want likes. We all want likes. And if we're not grounded in other areas, Listen, if when we under, to untether from God's word, when we destabilize the home, when we awaken and distort sexuality through pornography and abuse, and then we create a culture of celebrating every type of sexuality, voila. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but it ain't working. It's not working. This last week, get it, this last week in Gwinnett County, an eight-year-old boy texted his classmate, an eight-year-old girl, and said, send me nude pics. Eight years old. 
What's going on in his home? What's going on in his life? How, how has he been violated? What's been given to him? And when she said no, he threatened to kill her. Eight years old. Eight years old. It's like this week. In DeKalb County, a while back, a five-year-old boy sexually violated a five-year-old fellow kindergarten girl in the girl's bathroom because he was allowed to use whichever bathroom he identified with. What's going on in a five-year-old's life? What boundaries have been violated? What seeds have been sown? What things have been awakened? Not too long ago, a 60-year-old woman, get this, okay, in Nebraska, gave birth to her grandson because she was a surrogate for her gay son and his husband, who then, they sperm donor, egg donor, put the baby in her, and she had her grandson. I'm pretty sure there's a verse about that somewhere, right? Like, <laughs> the UN right now, I mean, this is hot off the press too. The UN is trying to progressively decriminalize sex with minors around the world. And now detransitioning stories are beginning to explode. In other words, the, 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 the ones who transition, quote unquote, at 14 are now 22, 24, 26. And they're saying, how did you accept consent from a 14-year-old? They're suing their parents. They're suing the doctors. How do you perform a double mastectomy on a 14-year-old? And while we're on the topic, when did it become controversial to say that there are certain things that a child can just never do? Listen, just, just under, even, I don't know where you're at in the argument, but listen, even understand it from an intellectual viewpoint. Can your child buy cigarettes? No. Can they buy alcohol? No. Can they join the army? No. Can they get a tattoo? No. Can they take Tylenol at school without your permission? But if they say they're a different gender, oh, now we got to trust them. Now they know what they're talking about. Now we can cut off body parts and give things that will permanently sterilize them. And it's madness, guys. And it doesn't even hold up to, don't even think about the spiritual for a second. It doesn't even hold up to intellectual dispute. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, a um, clinical psychologist, has actually done the math, the research, way more than any of us has. And he says that 75% of gender dysphoria, gender confusion, 75% of gender dysphoria is resolved in puberty. So he actually says this, that puberty does more than counseling does. Because God made your body. And he made it to correct some of those things that are confused. But here's the problem. Now we're giving kids puberty blockers. So it can't correct. And we've listened to a child who also thinks they're a mermaid. <laughs> and we've believed them and said, let's allow you to make permanent decisions. We wouldn't allow you to buy cigarettes because you might hurt yourself. But let's cut off some body parts. And guys, here's the reality. Ordinary Christian living is rapidly becoming radical. And I love it. It's the, it's the way it was meant to be, right? Listen, listen, this is the same way in, in, in regards to sexuality. The number, one of the number one things that actually differentiated the church in the first century from Rome was sexuality. Here's what set the early Christians apart from Rome. 
we married one person, we had sex with one person, and we didn't kill our babies. That's been the church's legacy for 2,000 years. And there's been certain times it's radical and other times it's not been radical. But listen, listen, I know there's a thing inside all of us. We were all kids at one point. Some of y'all are still kids or children or youth, whatever today. Listen, we all wanna be countercultural. Here's the best way to be countercultural, okay? Grow up, get married to somebody of the opposite sex, have kids, love your family, and teach them to love God. (laughs) That will be our witness to a lost and confused world. And it's into the madness of, of a confused society that Jesus speaks clear truth. Matthew 5, 27, as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. In fact, just let's say lustfully together. Lustfully, say lust, lust. That's an that's a important word. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And by the way, this works the other way. So women looking at men who look lust don't, you know, like this doesn't apply to me. Yes, okay, it does. <laughs> so if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if you're, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. In other words, God takes sex very seriously. And let me just pause in the midst of that. Please don't like cut off your hands. Please don't poke your eyes out. We're gonna talk about that in a few weeks. Jesus is using extreme language, okay? They're on purpose to catch your attention. But a lot of people ask this question. They say, why do Christians care so much about what other people do sexually? Because God cares. And because we love people and we don't wanna see them destroyed. And Jesus says here, and I think this is really important for us. He says that lust does not begin in the hands He said, lust actually begins in the relationship between the eyes and the heart, right? So here's the question. What do we do when our eyes see something that they shouldn't see? What do we do when our heart feels something that God has said no to? What do we do with that? We all have to make that decision, right? And because what Jesus is saying is, before sin ever happens in the hands, it begins in the heart. So we have to look in here. And here's the big idea for today, okay, guys? Everybody say, big idea. Okay, the big idea for today is this, is that there are just certain things that God says no to. Now, here's the deal. I'm gonna read you a few scriptures. Here's what you need to know. I didn't write this. Man, I'm just the mailman. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I actually agree with it, but I didn't write it. I'm delivering, this is God. So if you disagree with this, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God. Here's the big idea. God says no to some things, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. So just, uh, now again, hear me out. We're going somewhere with this, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here's a few of the wrongdoers. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the apostle Paul, he goes down the list and he says, God says, no, 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 no. Then these guys come to Jesus and they ask him about marriage and divorce. And he says this in Matthew 19, four, Jesus says this. He says, haven't you read? In other words, this is already in the Bible. That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. What he does, he goes back to, I think it's Genesis 2.28, right? That where God first gives that marriage language that a man leaves his father and mother and is united to uh, his wife. Now here's the deal, leave that up there just for a second. Is that, that people say um, often that Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality. Not necessarily true, okay? Anytime Jesus says sexual morality, that's the bucket. That's the catch-all, all right? But did Jesus explicitly talk to homosexuality? No, okay? Why? Because he didn't have to. That wasn't a Jewish thing. It had already been established. It wasn't a Jewish problem. So homosexuality was a Roman sin. Jesus isn't talking to the Romans. He's talking to the Jews, okay? But here's the deal. If... Jesus actually wanted to say, hey guys, you've heard it said, but today I'm telling you something different because God's changed his mind on this. This is where he would have done it. But instead of saying, hey guys, just listen to the culture, he says, hey, go back to Genesis 2.28. And he actually says, listen, God made them male and female. And again, this became controversial at some point, but Jesus says no to males saying they're females. Jesus says no to females saying they're males. Listen, if you're with us today and you're experiencing what society would call gender dysphoria, listen, I just need to tell you, you were not assigned a gender at birth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Imagine before the foundation of the world. And he said, I've called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. And in that place of affirming male and female, Jesus reaches back and he says, listen. He said, he doesn't say, if you're wondering how to live, look at the culture around you and see what they affirm. No, he says, God's already said how to do this. And he points all the way back to what's called original intent, saying God didn't change his mind, Genesis 2.28. God actually already told us what marriage is. And again, I'm gonna step on your toes, but I'll step on somebody else's next week by reading God's word. Jesus affirms that marriage, the only definition of marriage is one man plus one woman plus covenant equals marriage. And what he's really saying is, guys, we're sticking with plan A. God didn't change his mind. If, the, if he could have redefined it at any point, he would have done it right there, but he points back to original intent. Why? Hebrews 13, four. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And here, here's an idea for us, okay? Maybe it's easier for us to understand God's emphatic no to sex outside of marriage if we can actually understand God's ridiculously huge yes to sex inside of marriage. God is radically pro-sex in marriage. Listen, I'm gonna say it like this. I am radically pro-fire in the fireplace. (laughs) But if you take that fire out of the fireplace and put it in your living room, it's gonna burn your house down. 
And that's what God says about sex. There is one safe place for sex. Everything else will burn your life down. Better watch out, you're gonna get burned. And I have one more scripture to share with you, and it's the granddaddy. And now we're gonna, after this, we're gonna say, where do we go from here? Romans 1, verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So pause. What Paul, the apostle Paul is doing right here, he's almost, if I can say it like this, he's laying out the flow chart of sin, the anatomy of sin. How do we get from here to here to here to here? And what Paul is saying is where sin begins is in the place of knowing who God is, but refusing to worship him. Nope, not gonna, not gonna follow you. So they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. In other words, not only am I not gonna worship God, I'm gonna change God. I'm gonna say, hey, I know there's stuff in the Bible, but God doesn't think that anymore. God now thinks this is okay. God says this is okay. Now God loves this and God doesn't like that. I am now the spokesperson for God. I decide what God likes and doesn't like. And because of that, their minds became dark and confused. Does that look, sound familiar to anybody? In a confused and confusing world? Because we live in a world that knows God, refuses to worship God, and then changes God. And when you do that, you're confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, as people, we will worship something. If you do not worship God, you will worship something. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And here, here, here's what's happening, okay? Paul is saying, we were made to worship God, and if we don't worship God, we will worship something. And so here's what he's establishing. Here's what we need to understand because we don't connect these dots. Pornography, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, whatever the spectrum is, right? Is what we're saying is, I will not worship God, I will worship a body. Viewing pornography is worship of humanity. Oh, we ain't ready for that. All right. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Brace yourselves, brace yourselves. We're gonna take another step after this. Please don't click, click, close. Don't, don't walk out. Just hear, hear, hear God out. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Turn. And then the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Pause, 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 pause. Guys, people say that the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality. It does. It does. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm here today to affirm, clear as day, God says homosexuality is sin. I'm sorry if that offends you, but our opinions do not change scripture. Amen. Scripture changes our opinions. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because here's one of our problems. When Paul first wrote this, there were no chapters. We added the chapters. So let's turn over into chapter two. Let's 
Let's turn the page. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. (laughs) And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another translation say, don't you know that God's kindness leads us to repentance? And guys, let me just say it. Let me say it. Let me say it. Let me say it. Some of y'all been waiting for me to step on somebody else's toes. All right, here it is. The easiest thing in life to do is to clap and condemn people who sin differently than you do. It is easy to clap when a pastor talks about a sin that you don't struggle with. Preach it, pastor! I've been waiting for somebody to say it. Okay, 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 okay. I'm all for the claps. I'm all, listen, I clap. I'm all for the claps. But I need you to clap just as hard when I talk about your stuff. I mean, your stuff. Because some of you don't struggle with what we're talking about today, but you struggle with other stuff. So I, I, listen, I need you to be all in it. I need you to be like, yep, I don't tithe. Got me. Got me. I need you to be like, mm-hmm, I do eat too much. I'm a glutton. Preach it. (laughs) And here's what I say, guys. Here's what I say. If I'm going to clap for it, I better love people through it. Because we cannot stand at a distance and clap and condemn if we're not willing to draw near and to love. And I need you to think about this. I need you to think about this, okay? I need you to think about this. As Christians, for Christians, in our pain and our abuse and our trauma, man, we still have Christ. We can receive comfort from Christ. We have the ability in, in all the emotions that we may struggle with, we have the ability to pick our heads up above the ocean and take a breath and get reprieve. But listen, for those outside of Christ, there is no reprieve. There is no comfort from Christ. All there is is inescapable drowning. And this is as good as it gets. And let me just say it, guys. Let me just say it. Can we, can we, just, can we just understand this for a second? If I didn't have Christ, and I had gone through abuse and neglect and all, all the stuff, all the stuff, right? Listen, I might run to same sex for intimacy. I, I might view my emotions as my God because I don't have anything higher than my emotions to look at. And I might hate every single person who tells me that I cannot do what I want to do. Who are you? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? So instead of standing at a distance and clapping, what if we actually drew near and we loved and we wrapped our arms around people and we held people's stories and we loved people into Christ? And in that place of proximity, we can help people understand why God says no. So why does God say no? Let's walk through it, okay? Why does God say no? Here's the first thing. God says no because he's protecting me. When it comes to sex, a lot of people will say, well, why can't I have sex outside of marriage? 
Why can't I have same-sex sex? Like, like God's word is so oppressive. God's word is so restrictive. I, I, have you ever gotten um, uh, offended at the Department of Transportation? Because you're like, they only present me with binary options of the right way to go in traffic and the wrong way to go in traffic. They are gatekeeping my traffic ability. I should be able to drive in whatever lane I want to. Or could it be that the one who designed the road knows how it's supposed to be traveled? They know the safe way to go and the way that will actually lead you to destruction. So they put up big signs that says, do not enter wrong way. Don't go this way. Because God wants to protect us. Why? Because you have an enemy who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus Christ came to give us life and life more abundantly. Right? And here's the deal, guys. Sin is not your friend. Sin is not your ally. Sin wants to devour you. At the end of the day, the enemy does not care about your sexuality. He will use whatever door he can come through to get all of you. And that's why Robert Morris says this. Pastor Robert Morris says, sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Every single time. Because sin is not quenched. Sin will not be okay with one bite. It is, it, scripture actually calls it ever-increasing wickedness. It just keeps spiraling out. This is why pornography, the next time you look at it, has to be a little bit grosser, a little bit wilder, a little bit more exotic, a little bit more of this. It's never-ending. And let me just say this, guys. Let me be as real as possible. Let me be as real as possible. No one in jail for child pornography. No one arrested for soliciting a prostitute. Nobody who's alone right now because their family left them because of their addiction or their affair ever thought it would get that bad. Like it's just one little bite, it's just one little thing, it's just one little thing. No, sin is never quenched. And once that door is open, there's another door and another door and another door and another door. And it looks so innocent until it all falls apart because you're consumed. And that's why God says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Run away. <laughs> All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. In other words, yes, you are hurting other people, but you're really hurting yourself. You're really hurting yourself. And I, I, wanna, I wanna say this with compassion. I wanna say this. Please hear this with the tenderness that I intended to be said. The narrative right now is, is that people are suicidal because you will not accept them and affirm them. No. They're suicidal because they've given the devil entrance into their life by acting on sexual lust and desires that wage war against their soul. And so because of that, there's a way that you were made to live, and now we're acting on all these other things, and it's, it's oh, it's fighting, there's a war in the soul and we have two different ways we can go with it because the, the, fl the flesh and the, the culture now says, hey, make changes on the outside to affirm what's on the inside. And what the invitation from Christ is, hey, change what's on the inside and that'll change what's on the outside. And everybody right now is talking about how great our sexual freedom is. But nobody's coming right behind that and talking about how absolutely miserable everybody is. Why, why is suicide through the roof in teenagers right now? Through the roof. How many times do you, do you have to film your Instagram reel before you get it just right? Before you actually look like you believe what you're saying? 
How many filters do you have to add? Try and cover up the pain on the inside. Because what lies down that road, guys, you know it. It's shame. It's loneliness. It's abandonment. It's depression. It's STDs. It's ETDs, emotional transmitted diseases. You got rejection. You got all that mess. Nobody talks about it. But it's there. And God wants to protect you from all that. So why does God say no? Because he wants to protect you. Second thing is this. Why does God say no? God says no because marriage was made to reflect glory. Let me tell you, this is its own sermon, but let me just take one step into it. Ephesians 5, once again, affirms Genesis 2.28. Talks about how a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, right? Two will become one flesh. And it talks about how, how a husband lovingly cares for and gives his life for his bride. How a bride lovingly submits and honors and loves her husband, right? And then Paul ends with this statement. He says, and this is a profound mystery but I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. And listen, what God's actually trying to show us is that this whole marriage thing has actually been pointing to something bigger all along. Marriage is actually pointing to Jesus's covenant marriage with his bride, the church. This points to that. Jesus is the loving groom. We, the church, are the spotless bride. And we get a chance in marriage to reflect and show the world how much the groom loves the bride. And so again, please, please, please hear me the right way. This is why God says no to homosexuality. Because homosexuality can never reflect a loving groom Jesus to a spotless bride, the church. Homosexuality, man and man, woman and woman, can never show the loving dynamic of a husband and wife. This is why God says no to, to, to sex outside of marriage. Why? Because in, intimacy was saved for covenant. And trying to have intimacy outside of covenant will burn your life down. And so sex outside of marriage can never show the intimate dynamic of a committed covenantal relationship between husband and wife. This is why God says no to pornography. Because pornography is, is imitation intimacy. And the intimacy that Jesus has with his church is not imitation, it's real. This is why God says no to divorce. Some of y'all are like, oh, hey, wait a sec. I thought you were talking about those other people. Listen, I don't. I, I know culture says something. I don't know what happened in your relationship. I know, listen, listen. What you would, I know every single person who's divorced said, I wish it hadn't happened that way. I wish something had changed in the midst of all this, right? That we had done something different. But listen, listen, listen. Why does God say no to divorce? Because Jesus will never divorce the church. And the church only has one groom and his name is Jesus. And in some mysterious way, Marriage was meant to reflect that glory and show that glory to the world. And so that's why God says no to everything outside of that. So why does God say no? To protect you? Because you were made to reflect glory. And the third thing is this. God says no, because I was made for love, not lust. You were made to love and be loved. You were not made to lust and be lusted. You were not made for hookup culture. 
you weren't made for swipe right tender culture. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't made to try and find intimacy in a screen or in places where God says no. And culture tries to get you to believe that that's exciting, but we all know it's actually empty. And in fact, let me, let me just really quickly, let me define lust. This is my definition. Lust is simply craving something God says no to. And you, what am I gonna do with that? What am I gonna do when I have desires that wage war against God's word? And here's what that means. Here's what that means for us, okay? Is that your emotions are real. I wanna affirm that. Your emotions are real, but just because they're real doesn't mean they're right. We all have to say, what am I gonna do with these emotions, right? And so here, here's what I believe that that means, is that God's love accepts you just as you are. But he does not affirm you just as you are. There is a difference between acceptance and affirmation. Acceptance means, hey, come as you are. You don't have to jump through all the hoops. I'll take you right now. God says today, I'll take you right now, just as you are. I will accept you just as you are. Affirmation says, how, what, how you're doing it, how you're living is exactly right. No, 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 no. God loves you too much to leave you like that. God accepts you, but he does not affirm you as you are. He loves you enough to call you into Christ-likeness. He loves you enough to call you into holiness. Loves you enough to call you to change. But love is love. Come on, how many bumper stickers have we seen like that? Love is love. That's the cultural narrative. Love is love. Isn't love what this whole thing is about? Kind of. But I don't think we all mean the same thing when we say love. 1 John 4, this is where we actually get it from. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Time out. I want us to see this, guys. God is love. Scripture affirms God is love. But here is explicitly what Scripture does not say. Love is God. God's word tells us God is love. The culture around us tells us love is God. Love is not God. That's idolatry. That's saying my emotions are God. How I feel is king. No, 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 no. God is God. Your emotions are not God. Love is not God. God is love. And so the question is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's what he's saying. Guys, we don't know how to love. We learn what love is by looking at what God has done. What did God do? He sent his son. God loved so much that he gave his son, knowing what would happen to the son. And here's what it shows us. Here's what it shows us. Please hear this. It shows us that love is not sexual. Love is sacrificial. Love is beautiful, and it's intimate, and it's generous, and it's redeeming. 
And you were made to love God and love people like that. And you were made to receive love like that from God. You were made to be loved by God. You were made to be loved by your family. You were made to be loved by your community. You were made to be loved by God's church. And for many of us, you were made to be intimately and beautifully loved by a spouse of the opposite sex till death do you part. You were made for love over lust. You're made for love over lust. So, so, I want to talk to a few people here before we close. If today, if you are living a gay or lesbian lifestyle, we love you. Jesus loves you. I'm glad you're here. No, for real, I'm glad you're here. I, 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 hope, I hope you hear that. Like, that's sincere. I'm glad you're here. I want you here. I, I do. I want you here. I, I, um, I, I want you to experience what it's like to be in a place that may disagree with you, but radically loves you anyways. Amen. Our culture doesn't know how to disagree and still love. I, I love you. I love you. But I, I do want to correct what's known as um, the gay gospel that's out there, right? The gay gospel. That's where it's like, well, God accepts you and affirms you just as you are. No, that's not true. Here's the problem with the gay gospel. The gay gospel rejects the idea that God can still transform a human life. And I'm here today to tell you that the same God who rolled the stone away on that third day and Jesus rose back from the grave is still the God of the impossible today, tomorrow, and forever. And some of you may say, well, I was born this way. Awesome, you can be born again. Today, 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 today. Today. What if, oh, just dream with me for a second. What if today could actually be the beginning of a life-giving, life-transforming journey that led you into the greenest pastures you ever imagined in your entire life? Could be. Today, if you're same-sex attracted, I wanna talk to you. We love you, Jesus loves you, and I'm glad you're here. And here's the deal. You're, you're like, wait, aren't those the same thing? No, they're not. I make the distinction between, because biblically, there's a, there's a difference between attraction and action. You being tempted towards same sex is you different than acting on same sex. All right? And so I, you, you may feel like, well, I'm a gay Christian. No, you're not, unless you're actively living that. What I would say is you're a Christian who has same sex attraction. And you need somebody to walk with you through those trenches, all right? And if you're somebody today who's same-sex attracted and celibate, I applaud you as you're trying to figure this out. And what we wanna do, we wanna walk with you on this journey. We wanna walk with you on this journey. I invite you to talk to a leader today because we wanna co-journey with you. Today, if you're experiencing gender dysphoria or gender confusion, we love you. Jesus loves you. Your emotions are real. I'm not discounting your emotions. But it is my prayer for you is that you would meet the God who's not confused about how he made you. He's a good father who wants to walk with you. He doesn't want you to be confused. And you're in a house, you're among a family today who wants to walk with you as well. Allow us to co-journey with you. Talk to somebody today before you leave. Today, if you are having sex outside of marriage, we love you. Jesus loves you but you were made for love, not for lust. And today, I, I wanna invite you into a life more exciting than hookup culture. 
I wanna invite you into life more fulfilling than playing house. Because you were made for more than that. And we wanna co-journey with you. And finally, if you were here today and you're wrestling with pornography, Jesus loves you. We love you too. And I wanna invite you into a life that's more beautiful than a scream. I wanna invite you into real flesh and blood intimacy with the real Jesus and community with God's people because we wanna walk with you too. And before we close, I wanna revisit one last scripture that we began earlier. I gave you the first part, but I wanna give you the last part. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what you were. That is what you were. That can be your story. That is what I was. But I've been washed. All that mess is just washed away. I've been sanctified, which means you've been made holy. I've been justified, which means you have been declared righteous in God's sight. <laughs> and that journey of freedom, that journey of transformation can begin right now. And guys, here, here's the deal. God is not here today to beat us up. In fact, it is his kindness that draws us to repentance. So let's talk to him about it real quick. Let's close our eyes across all of our campuses. Here's the deal. Some of us need to hear this again. We're not picking on any sin today because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. We have to deny ourselves in different ways but we all have to deny ourselves to follow Jesus. And what God is inviting us into today is this thing called repentance. And repentance is saying, I'm changing how I think about sin and I'm changing who I trust to save me. You know, I used to think that I could do whatever I want to, that I'm my own savior. But what, I, what repentance is is saying, I actually acknowledge that that way seemed right but it was actually wrong, leading to death. And so today I'm saying that Jesus is my savior and I'm committing to go in his way. That's what repentance is. And here, let me just say this guys, you don't have to have it all figured out today because <laughs> there's already one who, who does have it figured out and his name's Jesus. And when you say yes to him, when you say yes to Jesus, he will lead you forward and the Holy Spirit will begin changing you into a new person. He'll lead you one step at a time and to what your life looks like on the other side of today. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if right now, if you're in this place of this thing called repentance, of saying, I used to be going that way, but I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna go God's way and confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, okay? So right now, across all of our campuses, okay? Whether you're Hamilton Mill or Midtown or North Cobb or here or online, all around the world, we're gonna pray this together. If you can pray from the deepest place of who you are, let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, I confess, I've been going the wrong way. I've been doing things that you say no to. And so right now, I say I'm sorry and I repent. I turn from the way I was going. 
I say no to those sins, to turn and go your way for the rest of my life. Right now, I confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, rose again, and Jesus Christ is now my King and my Savior. I'm gonna go your way for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, right now, come inside me. Change me into a new person. And I'll live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on.